Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing on our Lenten sermon series, which is entitled Jesus in the Upper Room. And there are five Sundays in Lent before you come to Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And there are five chapters in John's Gospel that talk about Jesus in the Upper Room. And so we're going to try to cover a sermon per chapter per Sunday, which for those of you that know the way I teach and preach, it's a real stretch for me. And if you caught today's gospel reading in John 14, there is so much packed in that. And we'll do the best we can to get through some key teaching points that come through as Jesus is speaking to his apostles in the upper room. If you know about that time, it's one of those times that's absolutely intimate. Where Jesus spends these final hours with his apostles. And it's so intimate and so fixed in John's mind that he spends almost a quarter of his gospel talking about those few hours that he's in the upper room with Jesus. Now, quickly going over what we talked about last week and bringing us up to this point in chapter 14. Last week we talked about Jesus washing the apostles' feet and the sacrificial love that was shown and the humility of Jesus. And then we talked about Judas, the betrayer, leaving. What happens after that is Peter's uh, denial predicted by Jesus. That's what happens next. And then following that, after that particular section, we have this mandate of love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the mandate. In fact, we call the Thursday before Easter, during Holy Week, Maundy Thursday. Some people call it Holy Thursday. Maundy Thursday, the mandate, which is where the word Maundy comes from, the mandate that most people think about is do this in remembrance of me. There's a reference to that in Matthew's Gospel. There's a reference to that in Mark's Gospel. There's a direct quote in Luke's gospel, do this in remembrance of me. But then when you get to John's gospel, that particular command, the mandate, isn't there. The mandate that is there is love one another as I have loved you. The love that he just demonstrated on the one hand in washing their feet, sacrificial love. The love on the other hand that he's about to show as he goes to the cross. That's the kind of love we're talking about, this sacrificial love. So when do you think of Monday, Thursday? You think of, on the one hand, Holy Communion, where we're having this special communion with God that we share every Sunday, and with each other, that brings in the other mandate, love one another as I have loved you. So then we come to chapter 14. Chapter 14, where... The introductory is about this dialogue that takes place 
where Jesus is telling them, I'm going away, he's going to die. And they say, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. How can you do that, basically, to us? You know how we do that. How can you do that to us? And then we come to verse 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. One of the most powerful statements Jesus makes. And for those of you that want to hear a sermon on that, in the fall, I did a sermon series on the I Am statements of Jesus. So you can go to our website and listen to that. But that's the background in the upper room thus far, right before we come to this particular section of Scripture that we're going to talk about. And Jesus now enters in on this time where he's going to spend a lot of time talking about his relationship with the Father and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you were to take John chapters 14 through 16 complete, what you would see is one of the most elaborate teachings in the Scripture about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important to understand this is a wonderful teaching and wonderful section of Scripture. Because Jesus talks about this third person of the Trinity, one of His intimates, if you will, the Father and the Holy Spirit with Him in the Trinity. And He talks about who is this Holy Spirit and what does this third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, do? He's already referred to the Holy Spirit earlier in John's Gospel because in John chapter 7, he talks about the springs of living water welling up. And then there's other teaching about the Holy Spirit that we see in Scripture. For example, the gifts of the Spirit that are talked about in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. And you can look at them. And everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, it means they also have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, it means you have at least one gift. And if you have at least one gift, you are intended by God to use your gift to build the kingdom of God. But that's one of the ministries, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is poured out and we are given gifts of the Spirit. Another aspect of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. The first of which is love, which, again, Jesus is spending a lot of time talking about here. Then we come to the section of Scripture that we heard read first this morning in Romans chapter 8. That the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. When we fail, when we struggle, when we're in deep pain, when we are so much in pain that we can't even think of what to pray and how to pray for ourselves in the midst of that, or how to even pray for someone else, we're told that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So that's other teaching of the Holy Spirit in the Scripture that Jesus is now introducing in depth so that the apostles would come to understand this third person and this ministry that unfolds. So that's the context, if you will, as we enter in on this particular section of Scripture and what Jesus is going to be talking about be talking about. And the first the first line in fact I'm going to quote you three lines that Jesus says. The first line that I want to focus on is if you have seen me 
you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. See, this is a very Trinitarian section of Scripture. The section that you have before you from John 14. And that's why as Jesus is leading into talking about the Holy Spirit, he talks about his relationship with the Father and how the Father is perceived through him in his life, in his work, in his ministry. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's sometimes really difficult for us to get our minds around the Trinity. We say as Christians we believe in a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's really difficult for us to get our minds around that because we really struggle with that. It doesn't compute. See, but God is infinite, and we are finite. Our minds are finite, and it's hard for us always to get our mind around who God is and what God is about. But here's one of the glimpses, here's one of the pictures we get that really helps us to understand. We say at Christmas time, God incarnate. That God came to earth in the flesh. We say Emmanuel, God with us. And so what we have here when Jesus says, if you've seen, the fa- seen me, you're going to see the Father. Because I am Emmanuel, God with you. You know how at times, and you've probably had this experience, you say to someone in a conversation, don't speak for me. Have you ever done that? Or he can't speak for me. Well, Jesus can speak for the Father. Because Jesus tells us the only thing I say is what the Father tells me to say. The only things I do, my Father reveals to me to do. So what he's saying to his apostles, you want to get a sense of who the Father is, you look at me, because we are so intertwined in love that His character is my character. That His holiness is my holiness. And the kind of love that you see in me is the kind of love this Father has for you. That's what we see. That's what Jesus is saying. What a love. What a picture. That God the Father is seen in His Son and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Then He goes on to say, in that same context, and if you're not sure about this, look at the works. The works that I do. It points to that. That God is all-powerful. And the power that I have in me that you've seen comes from the Father. And think about what they're thinking at this point, the apostles in the upper room, right? They've seen Jesus do all kinds of miracles. They've seen him turn water into wine. They like that one. They've seen him feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. They've seen him walk on the water. I mean, they've seen him heal people, raise people from the dead. Over and over again, you can point to these incredible miracles that Jesus did. And Jesus is saying to them, 
greater works than these. And much like probably you thought when you hear something like that, I don't think so. But take a step back just for a minute. What was the purpose of the miracles? Do you really understand the purpose of the miracles? The purpose of the miracles is either to bring faith or to grow faith. That's the purpose of the miracles. That's why Jesus did what he did. He didn't just heal people as if they're never going to get sick again. He didn't raise people from the dead as if they're not going to die again. Because they did. The purpose of the miracles is bringing and enhancing faith. Because the greatest miracle of all is a changed heart and a changed life. When God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, invades your life and transforms you, that's the greatest miracle of all. Because it has eternal consequences. And look at people who have been the instrument of that miracle down through the ages. George Whitfield, John Wesley, Billy Graham, who have touched more lives in their earthly ministry than Jesus touched in his earthly ministry. Think about it. Jesus spoke to dozens, hundreds, thousands. How many lives and transformations and conversions did we see through George, we- George Whitfield, John Wesley, Billy Graham's ministry? Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Understand the purpose of the miracles. God still does miracles today. He still heals. He still brings what is needed in the midst of a needy situation. But the most critical miracle is the transformation of someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus to someone who knows them, knows him as Savior and Lord. That's the purpose of the miracles. And that's why Jesus is saying, just wait. You're going to see me use you in incredible ways to touch and bring transformation to lives. Yes, the miraculous, what the world is looking for, but the most important miracle, the transformation of lives. That's what you're going to see. And how does this happen? How does this happen? In my name. When you pray, when you ask, you do it in my name. Why? Because now they know God in the flesh. Now they know Jesus Christ and they're about to know His salvation. When He goes to the cross, the work that He does, the cross, winning our salvation by laying down His life for our sin. And then rising again to show that He has power over sin and death. The the promise of eternal life. And then He ascends to the Father where He's at the right hand and we have access to God's throne. That's why we ask in His name. And that Jesus goes to the Father so He can send the Holy Spirit, God with us now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that we have access to His power. That's why we pray in His name. Because He is our reason to know salvation. He is our reason to know God's love, God's grace. And in this, you also get a glimpse of the Trinity. In operation together. Loving us together. But it's through the cross and through the resurrection and through the ascension that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit the reality 
for our lives today. You know, the closing blessing of Paul's letter to Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ comes first. It is that gift of salvation and eternal life that we desperately need first. Then we begin to understand this love of God. The depth of God's love. The cross. And then we experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son and with each other. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then he goes on to say, and I will give you another advocate to be with you. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person. He was just talking about his relationship with the Father and himself. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I will give you another advocate. Other words that are used in other translations, I'll give you another counselor, or I'll give you another comforter, or helper even. Those are the different words that are used of this word that we will talk about momentarily. But when Jesus says, I'm coming to bring you another advocate, let me tell you what the Greek words mean. Anybody who's been through the discovery class, by the way, has heard this. Because there are two words for another in Greek. One is heteros, which means another of a different kind. And the other is alos, which means another of the same kind, identically two. So that's the first thing Jesus is saying. This other that I'm going to send to you is just like me. Just like as you have seen me, you've seen the Father. This person that I'm sending next is just like me. And then he says parakletos. Allos parakletos in the Greek. Parakletos is the Greek word that means one who draws alongside you. Now think about Jesus' ministry with his apostles that they just lived and experienced. For three years, they walked alongside Jesus. Physically. Jesus was locally, physically present. He chose to be physically limited in one body. What he's saying now, when I go to the Father, after the cross, after the resurrection, after the ascension, I'm going to send you another counselor, spiritually walking with you just like me. Just like me. But he's not just going to be walking beside you, he's going to be in you. Bringing that intimacy right into our very hearts, our very souls. He will be with you. And in you. And the word parakletos brings home how this works. One translation that you have before you in the scripture on your sheet is advocate. What's an advocate? An advocate is someone who stands up for you. Typically we associate them with a lawyer. Though not always in our country. But typically we associate them with a lawyer. Right? A lawyer is your advocate. They advocate for you. They are trying to get you free. And the Holy Spirit brings you the freedom from the bondage of sin and death in Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit brings you the reality of Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He's our counselor. What does a counselor do? A counselor directs you and guides you and leads you and teaches you. 
He's our counselor. And that's what Jesus does. He counsels us in the way. So the first step, the advocate, is about justification. We are justified by faith. And the second, the counselor, we are sanctified. We are being made holy. The third is the comforter or the helper. It's as if we're reading Romans 8 here. That when we're in the depths of our sorrow and struggle and pain, when we know we failed, when we're caught up in sin, that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us to bring us God's presence and God's love and forgiveness. He helps us in our weakness. That's what we see. This is the one that we are told will abide with us, make his home with us. Because that's what he wants for us. His abiding presence. Like the vine so connected to the branches. The third line that I want to focus on that Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know, this is the two sides of God's nature that comes together in and through Jesus Christ. That we need to understand how Jesus speaks of this. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because God is love, that we begin to understand God's nature in and through Jesus Christ. The love that we see on the cross. And he's saying, this is who the Father is. This is who the Holy Spirit is. That's the fruit that he will produce in you. God is love. But God is also holy. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. God is holy. And he's righteous. See, we don't always like to focus on that part. We like the God is love part. But many times today we minimize the God is holy part in our lives because we talk about the commandments sometimes flippantly or selectively. If we don't like what the Word of God says, we just eliminate that part because after all, God is love. But what Jesus is saying here, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why? Because, because as the Holy Spirit infuses us and dwells in us, we begin, begin to experience that love in our own lives and we begin to love with that love toward other people. And the fact that God is holy, we call the Spirit the Holy Spirit. That's what He calls the Spirit. This holiness begins to dwell in us. And so we reflect this nature, not that we are being legalistic. Do, do not misunderstand that. Jesus spoke out against the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's not the point. That is not the point. Because when God brought Israel out into the wilderness to give them the Ten Commandments, He had already delivered them. That's the point. That God offers us deliverance in Jesus Christ, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to teach us through His Word what holiness looks like, that we begin to live that life. That life that is love. That life that is holy that that has an impact on how we treat other people and how we behave. Because God is love and God is holy and we bring them together and that's how we live the life of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
There's a wonderful scripture that Jesus says in his first sermon that really in many ways that's what this teaching is all about right here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. Does anyone remember the second part of that? It's amongst the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Do you understand that? They shall see God. What does Jesus say in the first part of this particular scripture reading? If you've seen me, if you understand who I am, if you accept who I am, if you come to know me, you're going to see the Father. And as we come to know Him by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have this love and holiness working in our lives, and our hearts are purified, and we see God. And what does Jesus say at the end of this scripture? When you do these things, God will be revealed. If you love me and you keep my commandments, I will be revealed to you. We will see Him more and more in our lives. We will see Him operate more and more in our lives. We will come to know His nature, His person more and more. Isn't that the goal of the Christian life? To grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus? To see Him more and more until that time in eternity? We'll see Him face to face. Don't we long to see people we love? As a Christian, don't we long to see Jesus? You know, yesterday morning, Daniel called the house. Those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, my son Daniel's in Afghanistan. He's at this outpost on the border of Pakistan called Outposts of Rock. It's considered one of the five most dangerous areas in Afghanistan. And by the way, when you talk to him, he said, oh, I'm doing great, I'm having a good time. but I love to hear his voice. He called earlier in the week. And I was so angry because I missed his call. Meredith said, boy, you really get upset when you miss his call because I want to hear his voice. But you know what? I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to hold him. That's what the Father wants for us. Understand. That's what the Father wants for us. He wants us to see Him and for Him to be with us face to face. He wants to hold us. That's why Jesus stretched His arms out on the cross. Understand. That's what He wants for you. And that's why at this intimate moment in the upper room, He wants us to know freedom from our sin, the bondage, the darkness. And the point of guilt and shame is not so it keeps us from Him. Understand. And it's not about false guilt. We need to discern the difference. But when the Holy Spirit comes and brings guilt to us because we know we've fallen short, 
The whole point is to restore us. We don't hold on to the shame or guilt. We release it. And we come to know that fellowship, that love, that embrace of the Father and the Son. We come to know that abiding of the Holy Spirit that He longs for us to know. His power and operation in our lives. Jesus high and lifted up so that we might see Him. Jesus risen from the dead so that we might know. And one day we will see Him face to face. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the grace. The grace that comes to our Lord Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation. The opportunity to know you and to see you and to see you in operation in our lives in our relationships in the world around us the love of God that transforms us and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that keeps us close to you that keeps us holy that blesses us with one another. Lord, that's your desire for us. That we would know that blessing that Paul offered to the Corinthians. Lord, I pray right now that for those who have never really seen you, that this day their eyes would be open. The hardness of their hearts would be broken they would come to know the depth of your love the depth of their need and know you as Savior and Lord for those who have walked away or are struggling that they would know the power of the Holy Spirit to move in their hearts and lives and Lord for all of us that we would see you until we see you face to face we would see you now in and through your son Jesus Christ in and through the power of the Holy Spirit and it's in his name that we pray Amen